Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. When Chris Croner took his first head chef position at an upscale restaurant, he inherited a menu which featured a popular burger. At first, he resented having to hold on to it, but then he began to wonder and be captured by how he might experiment with and elevate the sandwich standby, thus began a decade-long obsession with creating the perfect, mouthwateringly tasty burger. In his new book, A Burger to Believe in, Recipes and Fundamentals, Chris shares how he turned what he learned in his quixotic quest into the Bay Area's famous Kroner Burger, as well as accessible tips that can be used by the average backyard chef to level up their burger game. Chris shares some of those tips today on the show, beginning with the best kind of beef chuck to use in your burgers, and why the method used to cook your burgers should vary depending on their fat content. We then get into why Chris likes to use dry-aged beef in his burgers and how you can make your own and the kind of mini-fridge you'd keep in a dorm room. From there, we delve into the optimal size and shape of the patty, Chris's surprising pick for buns, the ideal proportionality of toppings and Chris's take on the desirability of putting ketchup on your burger. We also get into our mutually conflicted feelings about pairing one's burger with french fries and if you need to get your burger fix on the run, what fast food chain Chris thinks has the best burgers. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash burger. Chris Croner, welcome to the show. How are you? I am doing great because today we're talking about my favorite topic, hamburgers. I was actually thinking the other day about this. If someone said, like, I can never eat steak again, I'd be okay with that. I wouldn't have a problem. But if someone said, Brett, you'll never be able to eat a hamburger for the rest of your life, I'd be pretty bummed about that. So what's going on there? Why am I so attached? I think a lot of other people feel the same way too. Like, why are we so attached to the hamburger? I mean, it's, it's I feel like it's a... And I would say American, but I don't even know that that's necessarily true. It's just, it's so, it's such a ubiquitous food item that almost anyone has some kind of generally positive experience of eating a hamburger. You can ex- express a lot and whether, and almost anyone who eats it will have some point of reference. I mean, what was your, what's your first memory of eating a hamburger? Like what was... I mean, I typically associate hamburgers like grill, like, yeah, like Independence Day cookouts in my backyard right? with my family. Yeah, and I feel like that's, it's that way for most people. It's, but it's, I mean, it's just a, you know, relatively easy to cook. And I mean, even in a lot of instances, like a, a bad hamburger isn't. <laughs> it isn't, isn't terrible. It, it isn't terrible. Totally. Yeah. Uh, it's so relatively satisfying. And I, I think that's the part of the beauty of it. Okay, so in your book, A Burger to Believe In, you walk people through on how to make your signature Kroner Burger. But along the way, you give these great accessible tips for the home cook on how to level up their burger game. So let's talk about some of these tips. So on your hamburgers, you like to keep things simple with the toppings, so tomato, lettuce, onion, pickle. But you spend a lot of time talking about the main event of a hamburger, which is the meat. Uh, You use dry-aged beef in the Kroner Burger, and we'll talk about why you do that here in a bit. But what's your go-to meat for a great work-a-day burger? I mean, I, I always recommend freshly ground beef, even if you, I mean, if you can, I feel like at, at this point in most, most places in the country, there's a grocery store with a, a butcher counter. Ideally, if you can choose the pieces you want ground, and then I prefer a, like a, a single grind, relatively rough because we so when we set out to, to make this accessible for everyone, we went to like the grocery store next to my house, a Whole Foods, a Albertsons, and just bought like every variation of ground beef that we could find, packaged, frozen, fresh in the case, ground by their butcher, blah, blah, blah. I think we tasted like 35 or 40 different 
patties side by side. And what we found was uh, the majority of the like pre-packaged stuff, tons of water, frozen or not frozen. There's just like tons and tons and tons of moisture, which they were also ground really fine. So you end up with is difficult to get any kind of color or like good sear, just that like weepy, gross. (laughs) I don't even know what you want to call it. I know what you're talking about. There's like a, not good. Yeah. There's some frozen patties that we, we get from Costco and it's convenient. You just throw them on there frozen yes. and they cook it's funny whenever you cook it on one side on the side that's not being grilled like this weird gross stuff yes. grows out of it so that's just water pretty much and that's water and fat i mean the other part of that, that packaged ground beef is often like ground so fine or ground so many times that the like the fat is practically a into the protein and then once you cook it because it is so like mashed and ground it'll just weep out of the the patty anyway so fresh fresh is always my preference not to say that you can't make a decent burger with with something pre-packaged grilling over charcoal or wood also preferable in my opinion depending on what kind of burger you're making like when we if i make a cheeseburger we always cook that on the griddle uh the cheeseburger if you're cooking on the griddle you have a higher fat percentage i think that like overall like especially over the like the grill 20 to 30% fat, but anything more than that. And you end up with a lot of grill flare up or like for our cheeseburger that we would serve in the restaurant, it was almost 40% fat, but it's cooked on a griddle. So you don't have to worry about the, the grill flare. Okay. So that's, so if lower fat, if you, if you, if you're cooking a burger with lower fat, just grilling over the, the grill would be okay. But if it's higher fat, Maybe one of those cast iron griddles and put it on the grill and cook your burger on that. Yes. Okay. So fat percentage, like, so just is fat percentage, is that just whatever your preference is? Like, or do you have one that you, you like, like, do you like the 40%? What's your- I mean, the Kroner burger is 30%. I mean, the other part of like, if you're, so if you're using freshly ground beef and it is only ground once, you should end up with like pieces of fat in the grind, which don't render as quickly. And also help with getting like a crusty caramelized exterior and texture. Yeah, cor- I, I guess coarsely ground fat, about 30% is, is my personal go-to. All right, so avoid the, the frozen prepackaged stuff. Get it freshly ground. That's easy to do. You can go to your butcher and just say, give me some of that and grind it up, and they'll do it. In your burger, the corner burger, you use dry-aged beef. And why do you do that? Like, what flavor does that impart to the burger that you otherwise wouldn't get, which is fresh beef? The meat really benefits from the enzymatic process that happens when you are dry aging. So there's a, a slow breakdown of proteins that makes the beef more tender. The dry aging process also is a, you know, it's, it's controlled dehydration. So there's a concentration of flavor. So it's, I mean, it's really those two aspects of it that I'm after, both the combination of the taste, the tenderization, and then with less moisture, the quality of the sear or char that you can get on the beef is uh, significantly improved. And it, I mean, it kind of, you know, hundred years ago, whatever, 150 years ago, if you, you had a dairy cow and eventually you, it stops giving you milk and you have to eat it. 
the dry aging process was as much a, a method of like storage and preservation. I mean, I guess it was more a method of storage and preservation than it was anything else. So it, it, it really, this kind of goes, goes back to that, that very traditional way of preserving meat. And with your burger, the Kroner you serve it rare. Why rare? And I mean, what's the benefit of that? In part, it is because, again, of it's dry aged and it's coarsely ground. So even with that high fat percentage, if it is cooked much beyond medium, I personally don't think that the you're, you're doing justice to the taste or the texture that was intended. I feel like the combination of like the really nicely kind of caramelized exterior combined with the texture of the rare interiors like you really get the best version you're getting the best expression of how the beef tastes i personally think it's texturally more appealing but again that's specific to that kind of grind if it is a less coarsely ground or ground twice or a thinner patty then i don't know necessarily that how rare it is matters in the same way gotcha and then people with dry age most a lot of grocery stores they have dry aged beef i know one of the local grocery stores here in tulsa they have dry aged beef so it, this is accessible you you highlight in the book you walk people through on how to dry age beef if they want to on their own but i've heard that's a pretty it can be if you don't have the right equipment it can be pretty finicky like it's hard to do right no no okay so i've heard okay someone's like don't ever try to dry age your own beef it's going to turn out bad I mean, well, so that was another, <laughs> in the in the course of writing the book, it was like at the restaurant, we had a humidity-controlled walk-in with big fans dedicated to dry aging, and, you know, roughly 2,500 pounds of beef in rotation at any time. Con- taking that and making it accessible for the home cook was one of the biggest kind of hurdles that Paulo and I were just trying to figure out because at the time, I mean, there were, it's like, I think the Whole Foods near my house had some dry aged beef, but it, it's not even in somewhere like Northern California at the time, which I mean, we were started writing in 2015, it's just not, not particularly easy to find. It was like, okay, well, how do we, how do we create a uh, kind of a, a recipe for dry aging that anyone could do with a little bit of effort? And we looked at, you know, there's all, we're all sorts of articles about people using it's like Koji on a rack in your refrigerator or just putting a piece of beef on your refrigerator. Or this, there's like a, there's some kind of like bag or something that people used. And none of it, none of it is really doing what you want it. To. You can't really dry age a steak or like a pound of meat. It's like you need to use a larger piece of meat to, to really get the effect that you're looking for and to end up with something usable. It's like, if you were to dry age just a steak for 30 days, you're going to end up with a, you know, a piece of leather, not something that you want to eat. So in, in trying to, trying to solve this problem, we, (laughs) I don't even remember where the mini refrigerator came from. We use a, a mini refrigerator, like you would have in a dorm room and a desk fan. And we, sanitized it really, really well and dry aged a chuck in a, in a mini fridge. So a whole chuck fits kind of perfectly cut into two pieces in a small refrigerator and the constantly moving air is the sanitation and the constantly moving air are very, very important. And because of the freezer element in the refrigerator, it also had 
appropriate humidity because one of the you know one of the things about dry aging that sounds counterintuitive is that you dry age with pretty high humidity in order to to control that process of dehydration if it's if the chamber is bone dry then you're going to end up with jerky before you have usable dry aged beef so we i did this experiment on my own paulo did it on his own and then i had a couple of other i had a <laughs> dry aged a whole uh, a whole ribeye for like three or four months in a mini fridge under his desk in his office, which I don't know. I don't think his coworkers were particularly excited about until they ate the steaks. So it actually is, I mean, you obviously have to be very careful because you don't want to end up with a small refrigerator full of rotten beef. But if you handle it correctly, it's pretty straightforward. As long as the meat is dried off and the chamber is sanitary and you're not constantly opening and closing it, we didn't really end up with much exterior mold, if any, at all, and it, it works surprisingly well. So that so that was how we kind of sol- solved that problem. But now, and I, I regret not thinking about it when we were doing it. But now it's like people sell <laughs> dry age specific refrigerators for the home. But you could pull it off with about a hundred dollars if you if you'd like to go the mini fridge route. We're gonna take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. And now back to the show. All right. So uh, go-to meat. Like, so you want to go fresh ground. Let's recap here. Fresh ground on the beef. Fat percentage, 30 to 40, depending on what your preference is. And then uh, don't be afraid to try the, the dry-aged beef. It'll give it a nice, different flavor, different texture. Let's talk about, with a burger, one thing you really focused on is proportions. So let's talk about the size and shape of a patty. Like, where, What do you think is the best size and shape of a, of a burger patty? And like, where do you think a lot of people mess up on this? Uh, personally, I, I want a burger that you can hold in one hand and never put down if you don't want to, before you finish it. I also want a burger that is satisfying on its own, but it, if you wanted to eat two, you're not going to feel sick. Yeah. So our patio is five ounces, four inch mold. I feel like very often people use inappropriate buns or inappropriately sized buns. It's like the bun should have texture, but I I don't want something that is super bready, crusty on the exterior. I personally like I don't want brioche is too fatty for a burger, in my opinion. And then just like the the actual size of the bun, it's like you don't want a four inch thick top bun with a one inch thick patty or a quarter inch thick patty and a huge bun or a huge patty and a huge bun. I think the, I guess the, the, the biggest mistakes are the, the giant or the giant patties. Like I, I, I don't know about you, but I generally don't want to eat an eight ounce ground beef patty on something the size of a half a loaf of bread. Yeah. You don't want hockey pucks. You don't want hockey pucks. You don't want meatloaf. Do you don't, do you like to go like really thin or is it just like you want a happy medium between thick and thin? Oh, they're about so it's four inches around and a half, about a half inch high. Okay, and then when it Maybe cooks, a little less than a half inch. Okay, and when it cooks, it'll cook down a little bit. It'll shrink. What's the other thing? I mean, if you're using something that doesn't have a ton of water in it, it shouldn't shrink. Uh, okay, so if, again, cor- coarsely, freshly ground shouldn't shrink. I mean, unless you over, you know, you cook it to death, but you shouldn't lose that much. I mean, that's another effect of it being ground multiple times is that you're 
you know, you really have to run the risk of destroying the cellular structure. And so the moisture is much more likely to escape. Yes. Okay. All right. So not too thick, not too thin, uh, not too big around. Like you want it, don't want it so big. It's like going off of the bun because then you can't hold it with the entire time, but you don't want it so small that you'll have an old lady asking, where's the beef? from the Wendy's commercial from the eighties. And then, so talk about seasoning the burger. Do you like to season your burger before cooking? I season right before cooking with salt only. So, okay. And if you're cooking it on a griddle, I usually put a very small amount of room temperature butter on one side. So you make sure you get nice caramelization on that first side on the grill, like medium high to high heat. And at least for that initial char, I generally cook, like I cook, one side longer than the other, which is a good way if you want it to be rare. It's a good way to get lots of caramelization and texture without overcooking it. So for that, you know, five ounce, four inch around patty, depending on how temperature of the meat when you're when you cook it, usually cook it for about a, a minute and a half on one side and 30 seconds on the other side, or a minute and 30 seconds, or two minutes and 30 seconds, and the same when I cook it in a pan. And then with regards to everything else, it's really just about everything being in proportion. So it's like we have, we use five slices of pickles. We use three or four, depending on the size of the onion, pieces of onion that are cut about a quarter inch thick, charred on one side, raw on the other. It's like four pieces of iceberg lettuce. I always take the the ribs out, like the really white part. Some people like that. Most people don't. So you end up with, with consistent texture. They always toast the buns. So we butter the buns, toast them on a griddle buttered side down. So you get you get that caramelization, you get the, the texture from that in addition to a little bit of steam that softens the rest of the buns. So you have that combination of crunchy toasted texture and soft, pliable bun. Well, speaking of the bun, so you mentioned you, there's, you have like an idea, like you don't want a, a bun that's too bready. You don't like brioche because it's too fatty. And in the book, uh, you mentioned like you know, there's nothing wrong with just the bag of buns, like the Wonder Bread buns. Like they're they're pretty solid burger bun because it's not too bready, not too thick, and you don't it, it it has a taste but doesn't like take away from the taste of the meat. Uh, yeah, I mean as long as you you know can get over the mental hurdle of what they might be made of texturally they're I, I like my I would. My go-to in a grocery store is that bun versus like a brioche bun or my, maybe my most hated, a pretzel bun. Oh, you don't like the pretzel? I, I'm a fan of the pretzel bun. Why don't you like the pretzel bun? <laughs> texture. The texture? No. Yeah. So uh, what about cheese? The Corona Burger doesn't have cheese, but people- No, and that was the function of the cheddar mayonnaise. So we emulsify aged white cheddar cheese into mayonnaise, which might- sound complicated but it's actually very very easy and in part that it was to try and get all of you know all of the all the tastes with the minimal number of components so for i mean for the Kronenberger, i never really put cheese on it because the cheddar mayonnaise serves that function if anything put blue cheese on it occasionally but for the the cheeseburger my personal preference is is american cheese why not yeah, why not cheddar or a type of different type of cheese? What what's great about the American cheese? Texture. Gotcha. And do you melt like do you like put it on the burger while it's still on the grill? Let it melt. 
Yeah. So with, I'm, with the cheeseburger, we would kind of do the opposite. Well, I guess now I do do the, the opposite cooking process, right? Cook the, the first side for a short period of time, flip it over, put the cheese on top, and then cook the second side for a longer amount of time so that it would give the cheese an opportunity to melt. But you would still end up with like a medium rare interior. Uh, here's a question. Might be controversial. Are there any condiments you think like, like or I mean, by condiments, I'm thinking like mustard, mayonnaise, ketchup, that should never go on a burger. Because I know people have really heated opinions about this. What's yours? I mean, we never, we did not ever put ketchup on the burger. And then often when we, we would do events and things and not have any ketchup at all if we didn't have French fries, which people found confounding and angering. And I, I, I feel like I, I had much stronger opinions about this in the past. But <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, not necessarily. I mean, I, I really think it's about, I mean, I personally don't, I'm going to say that I don't like to put ketchup on a burger, but if I, if it's, if I'm at a barbecue and somebody's, you know, grilling hockey pucks and throwing them on untoasted room temperature, uh, buns from the grocery store, I will definitely cover it in ketchup and mayonnaise. It's like putting A1 sauce on a poorly cooked steak. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I wouldn't put A1 on a, uh, on like a 120 day dry age ribeye, but I, I don't know, a steak at a shitty steakhouse. <laughs> so we, we talked about the Kroner burger. We talked about, you know, the cheeseburger. Are there any other burger variations that you like? Uh, for a while I was making a, a version of the cheeseburger that was just raw white onions and kind of sweet, pretty spicy mustard. So it was raw onions that almost like yellow mustard, but spicier than that and pickles and cheese. And that was pretty good. That sounds good. I do like a burger with blue cheese. That is good too. With either like just blue cheese or like a big piece of raw onion, like a double plate of burger with bacon occasionally. Well, that's yeah. The bacon. So a bacon burger is like a type of bacon you like to use for that. I buy all of our all of our meat comes. A friend of mine started a meat company called Creamco, and they're based in Oakland. And we, I buy everything from them at this point. So he works with producers and predominantly it's California, Oregon, Washington State, and they make a really, they have a really nice bacon that we buy. So it's, I mean, it's not too thick, not too smoky, dry cured. I don't put a ton of it on it. I usually put a couple couple slices if anything i mean the other my other favorite is pimento cheese that's interesting that's an interesting i never heard of that that sounds interesting though which is which is really really good and we actually so over the course of this past year we accidentally started a retail seafood company here in la called mayday which is how we've been selling kroner burger burger kits and the other like the butchery items and stuff. So we sell dry aged beef and all that, that kind of stuff. But we started making pimento cheese with, with lobster in it. And so lately we have been making cheeseburgers that are just a toasted bun, lobster pimento cheese, and a patty of pickles. And it's really, really, really good. All right. So let's recap here. All sorts of the meat, 30%. You want to go fresh ground. Try the dry aged size of the patty. We're looking at four inches round. Just salt before again. We're keeping it simple. Just salt. 
Yep. And then um, bun, just go with the Wonder Bread bun. Cheese, American cheese has that creamy texture. Condiments, you can keep it simple. Can be like sides with a burger. Do you have like a go-to side? Fries. And what kind of fry though? See, here's, I, I've been, so like lately I've started, I don't, I used to, when you're a kid, like that's like you love French fries. But as I've gotten older, I've kind of stopped liking French fries. Because huh. they just kind of, I feel like it just takes up space. And sometimes they're not, most French fries aren't very good. This is true. So for you, like what is an ideal French fry like? I think the potato is really important. I mean, in, in my experience using Kennebec potatoes, if we get the, the best results with Kennebec potatoes. They don't caramelize too quickly in the fryer. They stay very crispy. So we, and we would, so we would oil blanch, cut the potatoes, rinse them, oil blanch them at like 300 degrees, freeze them, and then refry them at 375 degrees. And what you, what you end up with is between the, the process of, I mean, you're almost, I don't want to say confine because they don't cook that long, but you're kind of gently cooking them at, at 300 degrees. So the interior is cooked. And then between that process, that part of the process and the freezing, you end up with like a, when you refry it, you have a nice like shell and then the interior is super, you know, cloudy and pillowy. I don't know. I mean, you can, it's like a, steak cut you use russet potatoes and like a steak cut and fry is good uh shoestrings aren't bad honestly the the best burger side is another burger <laughs> that's what i found i've noticed i've been doing that more if i go to like a fast food place i'd rather get another sandwich or burger than eat the fries that come with it yes yeah i've done this i've noticed with chick-fil-a I don't like Chick-fil-A French fries. I know people love the waffle fries at Chick-fil-A, but I'd rather have another spicy chicken sandwich than eat the waffle fries. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I, st- I still generally order fries because I want to see if they're any good. But they usually are not very good. They usually are not. No, usually fry, like true. it's very rare. Or like, I think the best fast food fry, I like Freddy's fast food what is, fries. What is Freddy's? It's a it's a chain. They sell custard and they have cheeseburgers. Uh-huh. It's like they specialize in like burgers are really thin. Uh-huh. But the fries are shoestring, but they're like the best fries. Nice. So, oh, here, there's a question. Do you have like a, I always ask people this question. I think it's a point of, con- like a good conversation starter. Your favorite like go-to fast food burger. And it can doesn't have to be a national chain. It could also be like a local place, a regional thing as well. So if you're like out, you're driving with friends, you're like, Hey, we need something to eat. Pull into this place. I found, well, here in LA there's, so for like old, old school kind of fast foodie style burger, there's in Pasadena, there's a place called pie and burger. And that's a a favorite. There's also a, a, it's like a mini chain called high ho here in LA. And that for like a fast food burger, that's probably my, my favorite in LA. I grew up outside of Detroit, so we used to White Castle was was pretty great. And then I, when I was doing research for the book, I went to White Mana in New Jersey, which is similar to a White Castle, but actually delicious. <laughs> so those are pretty great. I, I think for like national chain, I think Shake Shack definitely has the most consistent, high quality burger that I have found. Yeah, Freddy's is similar to Shake Shack, I would say. Nice. Yeah, it's similar to that. 
My so I like Freddy's, and then my other go to like regional here in, in Oklahoma, at least, is, is it's a dairy company called Brahms uh-huh. and Milk. But you also go to these places and they sell burgers and I've heard ice of cream, this. whatever. Yeah, the Brahms burger, it's good. It's it's I think it's underrated, but uh-huh. I think it's a it's a solid burger, and you can buy a bag of burgers or used to it. Maybe you still can for five bucks. Nice, and it's just a solid solid burger. So yeah, next time you're in Oklahoma, try Brahms. I think actually there was an article written about Brahms. Like I think in, like I think it might have been one of the LA newspapers or New York Times or something. I wonder. I feel like that may have been where I, where I heard about it. Yeah. No, Brahms is where it's at. All right. Well, this has been a great conversation. I've got a lot of great tips. Is there some place people can go to learn more about the book and your work? Cronenberger.com. And then I mean, we post. So we still do events here in LA with we'll, we will eventually have a new brick and mortar location and then if I mean the easiest way to directly access Kronerburgers and our cheeseburgers through our company Mayday so it's MaydaySeafood.com Fantastic well Chris Croner thanks for your time it's been a pleasure thank you so much my guest today was Chris Croner. He is the author of the book, A Burger to Believe In. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. Make sure to check out our show notes at aom.is slash burger. We can find links to resources. We can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Check out our website at artofmanless.com where you find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles written over the years about pretty much anything you can think of. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLINESS at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android or iOS and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay reminding you to not only listen to the AOM podcast, but put what you've heard into action.